here different than what they came in with, Father. And Lord, that this would spark the excitement and the desire to feast more on your word, Father. And I just give you the glory and honor. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, I don't know how many saw it. We're going to cover Romans 1, chapters 1, 2, and 3 tonight as much as we can. Um, does anybody know anything about the book of Romans? Can you tell me anything about it? Do you know who wrote the book of Romans? It was Paul. It's also known as the old-timey people used to call it the Pauline epistles. It's one of the epistles, and epistles is just a fancy word for letter. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. Um, he wrote it around 56 to 57 A.D., which I laugh because when people tell me that, I'm like, so what does that mean? I mean, does it mean anything to you all about the date that he wrote the book? Unless you have a historical timeline to put it by. But remember, we started counting up at A.D. So this is the 57th or 56th, 57th year Okay, as we're following up. The audience that he wrote to was the church in Rome. And the church in Rome at the time was a mixture of Gentiles and Jews. And so Paul is writing. Paul has not actually been there yet. In fact, he talks in uh, his introduction his desire to visit Rome. And so what he, the purpose he is writing is to give the Roman believers a concrete theological foundation on which to construct their faith and to live for and serve God effectively. Some of the key concepts we're going to be learning is about the righteousness of God. You're going to hear that over and over and over in Romans because Paul's focus was it's about the righteousness of God. It's not by the works, but it's by his righteousness. We're going to learn about salvation is through faith and not works. So some topics are salvation, sovereignty of God, judgment, spiritual growth, and the righteousness of God received only by faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 through 8 is fundamentals and foundations of the Christian faith. Chapters 9 and 11 cover God's sovereignty over salvation. And 12 through 16 are instructions for living a holy life. Paul builds out his letter. He starts with the purpose. And he gives them the information that they need to understand what they're leading up to. You can't live a holy life without understanding what holy is, why it's important for righteousness, and what all this is coming. This is also along with the fact that the, what was going on in the church in Rome at the time, there was a lot of disagreements the Jews were not happy with the Gentiles, and the Jews were saying, look, you know, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but now you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, and we even get into it, you got to be circumcised. I mean, they were saying you cannot be a Christian unless you do these things. Well, what have we been talking about on Sundays? It's not about the works. It's not about the one, two, three, four things. It's not about the circumcision that the Jews were trying to place on the Gentiles. So he starts out, and he's kind of talking directly to the Jews um, and letting them know kind of what's going on. Um, but then he gets in application is for both the Jews and the Gentiles because there is no partiality with God. 
You know the scripture, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, Paul's preaching from that, or he's writing about that. Romans is also a good book if anybody's ever needed scripture to lead someone to Christ. If you can't remember all the scriptures in your head and you have an issue with flipping back and forth, everything you need to know is in Romans. Uh, in fact, we're going to touch on the first part of it tonight, which is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is your first step in understanding your need for a righteous Savior. So as Paul begins, he starts out and he's very thankful and that apparently they've been a very faithful church because their faith has been heard around the world as it was at the time. And Paul also said he prayed for them daily. They were constantly in his prayers. And then he goes on how he longs to be with them. And I put a note on here, not online or via just sending a letter. What was Paul's heart? He wanted to actually show up. And why was that matters? That you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, gathering together of the saints. That's why it's so important. That's why this COVID idea that people have got in their mind now, that they either they're scared out of their minds, they won't go outside their doors, or they've used it as an excuse not to go to church. They'll go everywhere else. Their life hasn't changed with work or getting groceries or going to sports events or gathering at family gatherings or going, you know, shopping and doing all this. But when it comes to church, it's, oh, no, y'all, it's still COVID. You know, online church is fine, and I don't want to give my soapbox about that, but you've got to have the fellowship of the saints. And it's not done through a Zoom meeting. And it's not done through Facebook. It's done by what we're doing in here right now. It's done by coming together. And by coming together, we are mutually encouraged by each other. And I don't know how many people, I'm sure everybody in here has had experience with online. It's just not the same. It is not the same. Uh, Remember iPhone came out with the FaceTime? That was great for grandparents who lived out of state and stuff. Is it the same as being there and holding that grandchild or being there with your child in the same room with you? It's not. It's not, it's not as encouraging. So Paul is saying, he's, look, I desire to be with y'all. He also said that he was obligated to preach the gospel everywhere he went. Paul felt that urge and that desire to wherever he was going, people needed to hear about Jesus. He had that unction, that desire in him, whether he was at the grocery store, whether he was at the local hardware store, or whether he was just walking down the street, he's going to share Jesus with somebody. Verse 16, Paul says, and this is chapter 1 we're, we're covering, verse 16 says, Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. It is the, and I underlined this on mine, the power of God for salvation. Do you understand what that means? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Without the gospel, there is no salvation. Okay, well, let's break it down. 
What's the gospel? Anybody? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not a Roman road prescription that you read off to somebody and they, well, there it is, you got it. It is sharing the good news. If I get something exciting and I'm all excited about it and I go to Melody, if I give her the instruction book on the thing that I bought and say, here, read this, what's Melody going to say? Yeah, no, no. But if I tell her how excited I was and how it helped me and how I was using it and this was just the greatest thing since sliced bread and all, Melody's going to buy into that. If I go to Jesus or go to a person who doesn't know Jesus and I say, well, here's a Bible, read the instructions and you'll get it. No. It's when I tell them what Jesus did for me, how Jesus has helped me through, how I've seen him work miracles in my life that it's going to get that person to go, there might be something about this Jesus I need to know about because I need some of that. I need some of that miracle. It is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who does what? Believes. Is it power unto salvation for the unbeliever? No. In fact, the unbeliever, he gets into it, it's, it's, it's strange. It's not normal and Paul uses this a lot first to the Jew and then to the Greek and you'll see that several times throughout Romans because who was Paul first of all he was a Jew who were the scriptures given to the Jewish nation right so they were the ones who received first and before we get too far into it, to say all this, Paul was actually the missionary to the Gentiles. Peter was the missionary to the Jews. Okay, so he preached, taught to the Jewish people. Paul extended that and went into the Gentile nation. But he still recognizes the special place that the Jews had. And everything he says is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So you'll see a lot of that as he's reading here. For the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith from start to finish, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. And I know I put Habakkuk down there, but that's not the reference in Habakkuk. Habakkuk also says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So how are we to live? Wait a minute. So I don't have to read 50 chapters of my Bible every day and pray for 10 hours a day and give $5,000 a week to my church and help 40 widows to be just? there's only one requirement what is that I have to have faith goes right in what Pastor Josiah has been teaching on Sundays it's about faith unfortunately we take that as the first step and then we as men we want to add all these things to it just like the Jews were the Jews were adding all these things to the Gentiles saying okay that's good you got the first step now you got to do all these other things because you know what I had to do them you got to do them and Paul's saying no. So Paul starts to lay out the first problem is the sin problem. Sinful man is exposed that righteousness is needed. 
Romans chapter 1. So let's look at verse 18. You know, as I was reading this too, it's kind of, I was telling Pastor Josiah, I remember growing up as a kid and, you know, your parents saying, well, you know, Jesus is not going to come back until everybody's heard and the gospel has been presented to everybody. And you were like, oh, well, you know, they haven't been in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa and all these other places. So, you know, Jesus can't come back yet because they haven't heard. I want you to read along with me in 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Paul just laid it out here. You have no excuse. The unsaved or unbeliever has no excuse. For when did God start revealing his power and his righteousness? Since the creation of the world, right? Very nature itself, the order of nature, the things. Pastor Tim always talked about how he was such a science geek and he talked about, you know, the cells and the things and how everything was put in a certain order and placed out to the universe, how everything had a um, structure and was placed in the universe that signified what? There was a creator. And I was telling Pastor Josiah, I said, as a kid, when you were presented with the option for right and wrong, you knew what was wrong, right? You knew, because you had to make a decision. If you didn't know what was wrong, you couldn't have made a decision. It would all just been one decision, right? That is God's way of placing inside of us the knowledge of right and wrong. So from creation, he has been doing this for us. And we have no excuse. You can't say, well, I didn't know. Well, nobody preached to me. Well, nobody told me about that. I didn't have any idea. I lived in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. Pastor Josiah read a book, um, Spirit of the Rainforest. These people who had no contact with any Christians whatsoever knew there was dark and light spirits. And they interacted as such with these dark and light spirits. Now, you could say, well, that's demonic stuff and all. But there was a spirit of light. There was a spirit of goodness. There was a spirit of right that was also there. They just didn't know it was called Jesus Christ, that it was God's righteousness. But they knew it was something. Nobody had to tell them what was right and who was good and who was bad. They knew. So Paul is saying, you know what, this excuse of you didn't know, it's not going to fly with God. God made it clear. And if you look up on verse 18 where it says, um, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress? Do you know that's a willful act? You can't suppress something unknowingly. You have to knowingly put it aside or knowingly decide 
that you're not going to deal with it. So they willfully suppress. They change the truth for unrighteousness. Nature itself speaks of its creator, the intricate designs, the cells to the vast universe. All God's works testify to his wisdom and his power. Now, if you'll notice that there's a chart I gave you on, in your sheet, because verse 21 goes on to talk about Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They knew God, but they chose not to glorify him as God. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So because they chose to ignore God, what did God let happen to their heart? It's a hardened heart. It's a darkened heart. And here, we, as we go on, he talks about the things that happen with a, a darkened heart for not following God. Verse 24 picks up and says, Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you see, it was again a willful act upon these people to decide, I'm not going to choose God. I want to choose all these other things because they feel good. Or I like it, or everybody's doing it. So if everybody can do it, it should be okay for me to do. But they know the truth. And after a while, God just says, okay, have at it. Now, when I first was taught this and thought about this, I thought, well, that's just wrong, God. You just let them go for it. Is it? Is it really wrong that when God has keeps showing you the right way and you choosing the wrong path, that eventually He doesn't say, "Have at it." You think it's better? Have at it. So God gave them over. Twenty um, six picks up says, "For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature." Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. We're not going to dwell on this too much, but if you know another verse, if you've got a friend who is in this lifestyle, the homosexual lifestyle, and they said, well, it's okay. God, God's okay with me living that way. Uh, Romans says something a little bit different there, does it not? And what happens when they continued in that lifestyle? He gave them over to that lifestyle. It is a scary place to be. And if you'll just track with me just a second on this. 28 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, 
murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. They knew this. They knew all this in the beginning. They knew when they chose to not follow God, this is their plate. And I'm not going to go through all that I've listed out here. Um, some of them the same words. Some used uh, my translation here, used a little different words here. But this is the result of not following God. This is what you have to look forward to. And you say, well, I follow God. I'm good. What about your neighbor? What about your unsaved brother or your sister? Do you see what they've got to look forward to? Now, does it, you kind of understand when an unsaved person treats you badly? It's because that's who they are. That's what their life is. That's what they've been given over to because of their decision to not follow God. And if you note here, it said God gave them over. He didn't say God gave up on them. God gave them over. He did not give up on them, but allowed them to go deeper and deeper into sin. He gives us an opportunity to see how sin is evil and how desperately wicked people can become, which then points to our need for a Savior. Okay, so if I'm trying it this way, and all I'm reaping is death and vile and unforgiveness and hatred and violence and all these other things, hopefully a light bulb will come on and say, man, that's not the way. Look at Miss Donna. She has it all together. She does, she's not experiencing any of these things. I need to find out what she's doing, what path is she on. And boom, there's your chance to share the gospel. But the fact that Paul was talking about sin and the sinful person here points to the fact our need for a Savior and that God can still save even these people who've knowingly, willingly decided to follow the wrong path. It's not over till it's over. So Paul moves on into, and you do know that Paul did not write in chapters, right? <laughs> this is one big letter, but we have it broken down for our ease. Uh, looking at chapter 2, Paul here is speaking to the Jew directly because he's addressing some issues that he's heard or that has been going on with the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. So he's speaking to the Jews, but this is a letter for us also. Because you know what? Just because we're saved, just because we chose the right path, that didn't give us any special privileges. That didn't give us any rights to do wrong things just because we can't say, well, I'm saved. Ever heard of that once saved, always saved? Or everything's covered by grace, therefore I can do whatever I want because you know God's going to cover it with grace. Doesn't work that way, people. And he's addressing that with the Jews because they had that same mentality. So he's coming back to, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. 
For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape judgment of God? Romans 1.20, we just talked about it earlier. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Can't fall back on the, we didn't know. Yes, I'm a Jew and I was brought up in the faith, but I didn't know. Nobody told me. Not going to fly. You get to the pearly gates. Peter asked you, why should I let you in? You've had all this big list of sins. You can't come up there and say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that was a sin. It's inexcusable. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, judge not that you be not judged. How many people have heard that? How many people have used that? We like to stop there, okay? You can't judge me. Because God says in his word, don't judge me, or else you're going to be judged. We need to read on, okay? For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. So what he is saying here, not that I can't judge your fruit, but I better be careful in judging what you're doing and making sure I'm not just as guilty of it, because that's what they were doing. They were saying, don't steal, but then they were stealing. They were saying, don't commit adultery, but then they were committing adultery. Because being a Jew, they thought, I have a special, i got to get out of free jail, get out of jail free card, because I'm Jewish. And so Paul is saying, be careful. I can judge someone by their fruit. If you tell me you're a Christian, and I see you out there stealing and rebel rousing and cussing and, you know, taken from people and being just rude and ugly, I have to question who you really are because I can judge your fruit. But if I'm judging your fruit by the fact that you you have a mouth like a sailor and you're stealing from other people, I need to make sure I'm not having a mouth like a sailor and stealing from other people before I place that on you. So Matthew's telling us to be careful. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Dude, you're doing a lot worse than I am. You're going to judge me with a speck and you got a plank in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at a plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, again, he's talking... To the Jew here, but he's also talking to us. How are we looking at our brother Christians? How are we looking at other people who are calling themselves Christians? Are we judging them because they do things a little bit differently than we do? I'm going to use the example of communion. There are things that we do that is traditional. Communion is one of them, and we do communion because... He says, do this in remembrance of me. It's an act of remembrance. But you know what? We pass 
out the little cups and you have the little cups and wafers. There's some people who have bread and wine. There's some people they have to come up front and receive and take it. And we want to say, well, y'all wrong. If you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. That's not what he's talking about here. Again, he's talking about if I am telling you not to do something because it's wrong, but I'm turning around doing the same thing, there's a problem. I'm going to suffer the same judgment that you're going to suffer if we both don't stop what we're doing. Again, those who judge are without excuse. For whatever you judge another, you will also be judged. God, however, judges by truth. The Jews thought they had a special past just because they were given the law. Four picks up. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And I wrote praise God on the bottom of mine. Because if you realize if God was not long-suffering and forgiving and forbearing with us, none of us would be here tonight. I wouldn't. Do you realize that if God was not long-suffering and forbearing, it would have never got up to Jesus on the cross? He put up with all those sins, all those sacrifices that everybody did prior to Jesus coming, and it never got rid of their sin. It had to be waited upon until the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ came. Then all the sins that have ever been committed, past, present, and future, were forgiven. If God was not forbearing, he would have wiped us out. How many, how many of you have read the Old Testament about the Israelites? They were on again, off again, on again, off again. On. In fact, at one point, didn't God tell Moses, I've had it with y'all stiff-necked people. I just might as well wipe you all out. I would have felt the same way. But God is forbearing. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Romans 3.25 said, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice. And who's him? Jesus as an atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood in order to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had passed over the sins committed beforehand. Psalm 62.12 And loving devotion to you, O Lord, for you will repay each man according to his deeds. Proverbs 24.12 If you say, Behold, we did not know about this, does not he who weighs your heart consider it? Does not the one who guards your life know? Will he not repay a man according to his deeds? We will have to give him an account. We will be answerable to everything that we've done. But the only answer that we're going to have to give is, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's going to be... The covering that's going to be when Jesus, look, God looks at us to judge us and he goes, you knew my son. Next. If I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I stand before God and I have to answer for all my sins and everything that I've ever done, 
And he says, okay, well, how are you going to pay the price? What are you going to answer? Do you have something more to give than your life? Do you have something more to give that's better than what Jesus did on the cross? No, we're going to be held accountable. And he will hold us according to our deeds. And God is the one who looks upon our hearts, not our intentions. Not our intentions at all. So God will repay those who are doing right with eternal life and those, for those who continue doing good and seek for honor and glory and immortality. But that those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who wor- whose works what is good to the Jew first and to the Gentile. Verse 11, there is no partiality with God. In verse 13, he also says, because a lot of these people were believing because they were born Jewish, They had it. That was their special ticket. They didn't have to try for anything. But in verse 13, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but who? Doers. And what what does that mean to be a doer of the law? It means you, you follow the law. You do what is right. James 1, 22 and 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he he does. Verse 14, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, and again he's speaking to the Jewish people who were talking bad about the Gentiles because you know what? They didn't grow up with the law. They didn't have to listen to their mama. They didn't have to do all this stuff. They were Gentiles. And Jews considered Gentiles dogs. They were sub-citizens. The Jews were up here and the Gentiles were down here. So that was the impression that they had of the Gentiles. And they were saying, well, they didn't grow up and have all this. You know, they didn't have all this information that we had. So Paul is saying, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, how is it by nature? Since the creation of the world is not nature telling right and wrong? Yes. So by nature, do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also being witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The Jews thought themselves a holy people, entitled to their privileges, and while they were thankful, but however they were unthankful, rebellious, and unrighteous, 
But all who act thus of every nation, age, and description must be reminded that the judgment of God will be according to their real character. Don't care what your mama was. Don't care what your daddy was. Don't care, you know, what church you attended. It's your character. Did you know Jesus? A personal relationship. Did you have that union with Jesus Christ? Because you can't lay it on anybody else. It's all about you. The human will is in a state of enmity against God. Left up to ourselves, we're enemies. We have nothing but hatred for God. That is the human state. That's what we're born into. Thanks to the sin nature that was passed along to us, this is what we have to look forward to. It said, even the Gentiles who had not written the law or had not the written law had that within which directed them that do by the, excuse me, had that within which directed them what to do by the light of nature. So basically it's saying, look, the Gentiles are living according to the law and they don't even know what the law is. They just know right from wrong and they're living according to the right. Their conscience is a witness and first or last will bear witness as they kept or broke these natural laws and dictates. Their consciousness has either acquitted them or condemned them. Nothing speaks more terror to sinners and more comfort to saints than that Christ shall be the judge. Secret services shall be rewarded. Secret sins shall be punished and brought to light. We're not getting away with anything. Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify what it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Acts 17, because he was appointed, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this unto all by raising him from the dead. First Timothy, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinner, for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I believe I said before that the law cannot save anybody from sin. You cannot follow the letter of the law and get saved because you followed the law. The only thing the law can do is tell you something's wrong. How do we know murder is wrong? The law says it's wrong. How do we know adultery is wrong? The law said it was wrong. So it points out the sin, but it can't save us from the sin. There's only one person that can save us from the sin. And again, it's not because of what we ourselves can do. It's that unity that Pastor's been talking about. It's that unity that is within us that makes us clean, that makes us above the law, that makes us acceptable to Jesus Christ. Not because I don't commit adultery, I don't murder, I don't lie, I don't steal, and all that's great because I shouldn't. But that in itself does not make me righteous. Scripture says if you fail in one aspect of the law, 
You failed in all of them. So, okay, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you know, you're not an adulterer. But also scripture says that, yes, if you're a gossiper, guess what? You broke, you might as well have broke them all because that one little thing is going to put you down. So there is no way possible that in my human form and my human nature can I rise above the law. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why he's pointing out sin is existence. Sin is real. He's implanted in each and every one of us the knowledge of right from wrong. He's also told us Jesus Christ has come so that we have a better way, that we are above, that we don't have to match. I can't be good enough myself. I can't not do, or I can't follow every letter of the law within myself. I have to depend on a Savior. And guess what happens when I screw up? I'm covered. I'm covered. I don't go back to ground zero and have to repent, crucify Christ again, do all the first works and everything. I'm covered. And have you ever thought about repentance is not for Jesus? It's not for Jesus to know what I did wrong. Repentance is for me. Because remember, when Christ died, he forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. Well, if he only gave us the past and present, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Because somebody would have to come back, take care of our future sins. Our sins are forgiven based on nothing else but my faith in a righteous God who died and paid the price for me, and there's nothing else I have to do. Now, out of that comes my desire to do the right thing, my desire to follow the truth, my desire to read the word, my desire to pray, my desire to come to church, all that comes out of the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for you. Now you're free. So he goes on in verse 21 and 22 saying, Teacher, do you not teach yourself? Preacher, do you, not, do you preach not to steal and steal? You who say don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Are you doing the things that you're speaking against? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Uh-oh. Gentiles didn't want to hear the name of God because they're saying, look, how these Jew- I don't want to be like those Jewish people. They all high and mighty and tell you, and they're doing the same thing they're telling me not to do. Ezekiel 16, 27, Behold, therefore, I stretch out my hand against you, diminish your allotment, and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. Isaiah 52, Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Ezekiel 36, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not, 
I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Dude, that's heavy. Wherever the Jewish people were going, they were trying to impose upon these people around them all these rules and regulations. People don't want to have nothing to do with God. Why would I want to have something to do with God when I'm seeing both sides of you? Why do I want to serve a God that lets you treat people like you treat people? Okay, well, I'm not Jewish, and I wasn't doing any of that. But you call yourself a Christian. How are you treating those around you? Is God's name be, or, um, blasphemed? Because they look at you and says, I don't want anything to do with the God Charlie serves. I don't have nothing to do with that. Because if he's so great, why is he having all these problems? And why is he stealing? And why is he doing all these wild life things? I'm happy in my own little world. And I'll probably end chapter 2 with this. Circumcision is of no avail. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be accounted as circumcision? Galatians 5.3 And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Wait a minute, I just said that it's impossible that if you don't keep every aspect of the law, you failed in all of it, right? Well, if you're looking at them saying, well, I'm circumcised, therefore I got that special ticket, that golden ticket that God's going to give me. Paul's saying, no. You who know the law are not doing the law, but you're circumcised. So how is this supposed to equate when you want to fuss about your neighbor who's a Gentile, who's not circumcised, who's following the law? The word even says that that uncircumcised person will actually judge you. And I'm sure that set well with the Jewish people. Acts 10, and then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but of God. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. First Peter, and now here he's talking to women about wearing jewelry and stuff. But he says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. You know, you can slap lipstick on a pig and make a pretty pig, but there's still going to be a pig. And if the Jews who were saying, but I'm circumcised, but you're dirty and filthy pig, you're not following God's way. Oh, but you got Bob over here who's not circumcised, who's a Gentile, and he thinks he's all that. Well, he is because he's following the law. So our change, our expression of who we are because of the 
um, atoning work that Christ did for us on the cross should be an outward expression, but also more important is an inward expression. What is in your heart? What is going on in here? I think we need to get right what's in here before we worry about what's out here. I mean, Paul's just being honest with them. You know, they were on the wrong track. I'm going to end here. Um, verse 3, or chapter 3, we're going to pick up. Because now that Paul's really hit the Jews hard and told them basically everything they were doing was wrong and the way they're treating people is wrong, and, you know, even though that they had were given the law, the question comes up, and the next one is, then what advantage is it in being a Jew? So we're going to discuss that next time. You know, the more and more you read the Word, the more that is revealed to you, the more that changes inside of you. And when you are light on the inside, guess what shows on the outside? You can take a dark inside and paint a nice little light on the outside so it looks. And we Christians are just as bad about it. We learn all the Christianese and we learn all the right terminology and all the right things to say. And nine times out of ten, the unsafe person is going, I have no clue what you're talking about. I have no clue about all these traditions you're talking about, all these things that you're talking about. Um, Pastor Josiah had talked about there are things that we learn growing up in church that we just take for granted everybody knows or they grew up the same way we did. And then, Pastor Josiah, if you don't mind me sharing, when he had talked to Serena, and Serena said, well, that makes perfectly good sense. I mean, he's like, well, how does that make sense to you? That doesn't follow along. Because she didn't grow up with all that tradition, all that rules, all those laws, all those expectations that we as Christians then put upon other people and on ourselves. This is what the Jewish people were doing. From day one, they were taught the law. They lived, ate, and breathed the law. They were given the scripture. They knew above everybody else the truth. But then they were taking it and they were skewing it into something terrible that the other people didn't want to have anything to do with it. So we as Christians need to examine ourselves. What are we doing? What traditions or what terminology have we been using that people are just smiling at us and nodding? Okay, I have no clue what it is, but... She said, okay, it must be good. I don't know what it is. but Or we then say, well, you know what? You got saved. I want you to do a write. I want you to read the whole book of Romans. I want you to write me up a report. And I want you to tell how that applies to where you used to be and where you are now. And then I want you to pray and write down the subject of your prayers. And uh, when you started praying time and when you ended praying and what the subject of your prayer was. And then I want you to make sure that you get out your checkbook and you write all this money to all these organizations. And, all. and then just then, maybe you can come up to where I am. Seems to me they've already surpassed us. All right, I know we were just getting into Romans. There's a lot more coming. Um, and Paul's really just kind of laying out the plan here. 
But as we get deeper into this, like I said, we're actually going to get the, and the fact that I said we don't live by rules, but the right and wrong things that Paul tells us in chapter 12, starts in chapter 12, of how to live a godly life, how to live a holy life. But again, it's not by your works, but it's things that you should do because of who you are in Christ, not because somebody put it down on a list and told you to live this way. All right, let's bow our heads. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that you shed light on us, Father, and sometimes that light points out things in us that we thought we were doing good. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your forbearance. I thank you for your desire to put us back on the right track. Father, I thank you that you want us to get this. You want us to understand this. And Father, not so that I can point it out to somebody else. Father God, that it will change me first. And that the life I live in you will then affect those around me, Father. It's me first and then them, Father. Father God, I ask you to bless all those gathered here. Bless their time. Bless their faithfulness, Father, and their families, Lord. And as always, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Is it hot here?